Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Diamond Hands Podcast. Today we have a special guest with us. If you've ever been thinking about what the future of your damn med spa is and you need to get out, Ben Hernandez is one of the professionals that you should be speaking speaking with. So he owns and he's a partner at Skytail Group. So Ben um, has his BBA in finance from Mays Business School at Texas A&M and also an MBA from Cox School of Business at Southern Southern Methodist University. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I'm excited to be on today. Yeah, we are too, because ladies, I know most of my listeners, you guys are women, and it's just like, even though you're in business, y'all don't like business, y'all don't like math, you guys don't like this stuff, but you need to get into it. You need to know what this is. You need to start with the end in mind, even if you've only been in business for three months. We we so often say that, and, and we didn't talk before this about it, but we oftentimes tell our clients, let's start with the end in mind. close your eyes and paint that painting that you have in your mind. And, you know, our job is typically to bring that to life as best we can. But I think that's such an important piece of be sure that everything you're doing, you're doing it with that end in mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. That gives you just a really clear roadmap. Yeah, I mean, it it really does give a clear roadmap because, you know, we think about, um, you know, even going to med school, you know, some of the plastic surgeons that may be listening or even just owning a med spa. It's like with that, you had your end in mind when you were going through all of that work, even even, you know, us with school, you have your end in mind. And so it's like everything you're doing, all that work you're doing is for this goal. And and, 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 and in one of my talks that I do, it's like, you know, without, it's like I always say, without a vision, the people perish. It's so cliche, but it's true. It's oh, a hundred percent. It is true. And, you know, when we, when we work with businesses, who they are today, if someone were to call us today, mm-hmm. it is absolutely not the organization that they typically are five years from now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll put things on the board, everything from filling in team members to what's going, depending on, of course, the business and what their goals are. But mm-hmm. we tend to work with multi-location groups. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in that, maybe they have two locations and in five years, they're going to have 10. That's mm-hmm. a drastically different looking business than it is today. You, you're going to need leadership roles at that point, maybe a C-suite, at least directors, Maybe you're already centralizing certain functions. These Mm -hmm. are things that you're probably not needing to do today, but you Mm -hmm. should absolutely start thinking about it and start behaving as if you're already there because Mm -hmm. it's so much easier to plan than it is to have to undo things due to lack of planning. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with everything you said. Yeah, and, and it's like something that I recommend to, you know, my med spa clients all the time. And any y'all know it's about it's like a corny little book, but it's good. It's called The E Myth by Michael Gerber, and he talks about a lot of that stuff. Like, you know, you have to operate even if it's only you. It's like know the different roles that are possibly going to be in your organization, and for now, you're going to have to do all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but as time goes on, you can offload those responsibilities as you grow. Yes, 100%. You know, uh, we oftentimes put an org chart together. And as Mm -hmm, you just mm -hmm. said, maybe today you're the janitor, you're the CEO, you're the front desk, maybe you're everything today. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Put your put yourself down there. 
as you start to grow, though, what we start letting our clients know, because oftentimes it becomes a discussion of what's it going to do to profitability. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we like to say is all those things that you're doing today, when you're the janitor, whatever that mm -hmm. may be, that's how much you're paying yourself for that when you're doing that. Is that the most impactful use of your time for your mm -hmm. business? Or are you over time doing it a disservice? And we repeat that quite a bit. Whatever you're doing during that hour, two hours, three hours, whatever that may be, that's how much you're paying yourself when you're acting in that role. And mm -hmm. while it's absolutely necessary oftentimes to do it at the beginning of the business because it allows you to cash flow and it allows you to maybe reinvest in the business or reinvest in your team or yourself, over time, you're actually hurting your business because you're, you should be the leader of the business. At that point, maybe at a certain point, you're going mm -hmm. to have, instead of cash flow issues, people issues are going to be a bigger hmm. problem. Centralization issues are going to be a bigger problem. Leadership mm -hmm. issues are going to be a bigger problem. And that's really where your time ought to be dedicated. So it's just a really neat, you know, kind of fluidity as you go along the business life cycle. Yeah, it's so exciting. I love this stuff. So, you know, but before we kind of get more into the business, you know, tell us, you know, more about you. Like, where, you know, where did you grow up? Like, what were you doing before you started the Skytail Group? Like, just, just kind of lead us a little bit through your history and like when you knew specifically that you were different, you didn't want to work with somebody else anymore. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's interesting. So, you know, our firm's in Dallas, Texas, and this part's not very exciting. Grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, ended up coming back home. But it, it's the way that I got here is out of school, I did investment banking for two years. Mm -hmm. I went back, I got my MBA, as you noted, at SMU. And most of my career, I think it was about nine years, I worked at HBK. It's a hedge fund. Mm -hmm. um, and during that time, one of my friends, his wife, uh, was working and was a partner at uh, MWA. MWA yeah. was an accounting, tax, and advisory firm. And it just so happened that they needed help on the advisory side. And I said, you know what, this is kind of interesting because what I knew about the firm was they worked with small business owners. Mm -hmm. And then by dumb luck, when I got there, it, they worked specifically with healthcare, very, very heavy in dental at the time, but they were starting to get in the med spa space. This yeah. was back in 2015. Um, yeah. So it was interesting because while my past didn't allow for too much help on the single solos, I did understand the concept of scaling, of growing, of, of markets that were fragmented and consolidating. But really the reason that I even made the move, which is, which is why we're doing what we're doing today. The reason why I made the move is uh, at SMU, I had a professor. He was one of the founders, one of the two founders of Hotels.com. And the class was wow. called conservative. It was, he was a neat guy. That's the class wild. was conservative entrepreneurship. And he said something. I always wanted to be a business owner. And at mm -hmm. the time, he said, you guys are young. I was young at the time, believe it or not. But you guys are young. Um, if you want to found your business, do it now. And he said, worst case, if it fails, you lose out on an iPad or something. Um, and he said, as you go along life, the chips get taller. So life goes on. And I'm at HVK. And the chips got taller, you know, got mm -hmm. married, a uh, child was on the way. So at that yeah. point, I had all but given up hope of founding my business. However, yeah. business owners were and are, frankly, still my heroes. And mm -hmm. so I thought, if I'm never going to do this, I'll give it a shot, kind of change careers, and I'll work with my heroes. Maybe I can add some value to people that 
kind of put it all on the line and risked mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And they're really the reason why Skytail even came about. When I got into it, I loved working with small business owners. The way that an yeah. entrepreneurial mind works is fascinating. And I thought that some of the things that, that we brought to it really helped kind of get them into a lane, right? Mm -hmm. And really helped protect them and grow their business into this beautiful business. And that's really where the idea of Skytail came about is they gave me kind of the, the ability to found my business because I realized that just like me, everybody had faults and, and, and things to improve upon. Mm -hmm. So that's where the idea of Skytail came from. It was really kind of inspired by our clients back then. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found was, wouldn't it be great if we found a, founded a firm that was like an external CFO that helped grow on the strategic side. And then on the back end, we were kind of getting graded by private equity firms and the like, because we do sell side M&A. So that's really where the idea came from and where the passion came from. And it's just awesome to be able to work for, you know, who we consider to be our heroes still today. Um, so that's really where the passion of it came from. That's so great. I, I love that. I'm still not over the fact that one of your professors was, you know, one of the founders of hotelsfrickin.com. Like, that's lit. <laughs> Professor Littman. I still remember him. He got a standing <laughs> ovation the last day in class. I've never yeah. seen a professor before since get that outside of movies, wow. of course. But he literally got a standing ovation the last day in class. He was he was unbelievable. It was a oh great class. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So, you know, and, and so on the personal side, I'm, I'm, I just want to go over here. So like when you started your business, how was that transition in your family life and how challenging was it for your partnership to like kind of go out on a limb? And I know you're financially smart, so I'm sure you had savings and stuff, but how, how, how challenging was it to your partnership to say, okay, I'm going to start and do something on my own. You got me, babe. Like, how'd that work out? <laughs> I, I got lucky on multiple fronts. Um, one, my wife was working and still is, was working at the time. So mm -hmm. we figured worst case scenario, we'd eat like rice and beans the rest of our lives. Uh, yes. And she was okay with that. Um, I don't think she was surprised. I was very worried and scared having the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. she wasn't very surprised at this point, our little girl was six months old. Um, oh. and so I was terrified. My wife was not very surprised whatsoever. She was very yeah. supportive on top of that because she knew it was a dream of mine. Uh, yeah. and, and she knew that I was fairly methodical. Uh, mm -hmm. but really the other big advantage is there was a marketing firm that we were working with that really, mm -hmm. they were the ones that pushed us to do it. Uh, and their idea initially was to kind of work on the marketing and financial side together. So they were a bit of a safety net where they helped fund us on the front end. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we would have done it without them, uh, mm -hmm. to be quite frank. So there was a bit of a safety net. It, mm -hmm. So it would have only been a relatively small hit. And so, you know, had a lot of doubts, uh, a lot of, you know, am I impersonating or am I truly ready for this? Uh, yeah. And fortunately for the firm, uh, we were break even within two or three months uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, been profitable ever since. So it was really nice that uh, the the initial clients that we had to put that trust in us that they did were forever in debt to. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was certainly an interesting time, but uh, <laughs> but paid off very quickly. And I think we found very early on 
that I think we founded the firm in May of 2018. Our first hire was October. Uh, and then we've been hiring, you know, fairly regularly ever since. So, uh, but yeah, it was definitely a scary and gut check time around that time. <laughs> and I can imagine, you know, because you remind me of my partner a little bit. So, you know, I'm like the big visionary, like out there crazy person. And he's very analytical. I'm like, I'm going to make sure this is in place before that's in place, you know. And he's a good balance to me. But it's like, you know, um, so I, I, I can see how that was kind of like, gut-wrenching for you to be like, oh, I'm leaving something and I'm going to start, but you had your safety net. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you made sure you had your safety net. That's and right. So I came from a hedge fund. You have to hedge. <laughs> exactly. You're like, so if this doesn't work out, all right, okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I think I have on a spreadsheet still how much we would have lost home income wise of everything uh, went south quickly. <laughs> oh my God, that's so great. And something that you mentioned to me, I, I kind of want to dig into a little bit deeper. You talked about imposter syndrome and it's nice because you talk about your heroes, but you know, you are a hero too now because you are an entrepreneur. So tell me a little bit more about um, the imposter syndrome and some of the doubts that you had when you started and, you know, any tips for those who are in a leadership setting, but they're like, ah, am I really supposed to be doing this? Am I really supposed to be here? Yeah, you know, I, I think about this a lot. I think, you know, when we put together the core values of the business, when we put together the mission of the business, what the business is trying to really uh, do. Uh, mm -hmm. for our clients. And, and we mean that. Uh, it, we're very visceral about it. We mean it when we say we treat your business as our own. We mean mm -hmm. it when we say, um, you know, that especially on the M&A sell side, that it's one of the top five things you'll do. And, mm -hmm. and we take that very seriously. We want you to remember us in a positive way. So throughout that time, when you're putting all these idealistic things together for a business, what you're really doing is almost like the best version, the ideal version of yourself mm -hmm. that you yourself may never reach. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's constant doubting and constant pushing uh, mm -hmm. in a good way to continue to be better for your clients, mm -hmm. for your firm, for your team members, make sure that they continue to be able to grow within the firm, make sure that when they go home, they're proud to work with Skytail. And that's a heavy, heavy burden. And it's a good burden. It's an honor. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think you have to be realistic and continually improve. And I think when you open yourself up to that, you're going to naturally have that. And I think for people who have that, I would say embrace it. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I do things like whether it's journaling, whether it's joining uh, EO Entrepreneur Organization, obviously ours is EO Dallas. You, you, you surround yourself with all these other small to medium sized business owners they're experiencing the exact same thing. Yeah. So it allows you to really embrace some of these things that you're doing. And if you treat it correctly, then mm -hmm. it really allows for self-improvement, continuous self-improvement, mm -hmm. being able to embrace being a student instead of feeling like you're the professor and know all the answers, which mm -hmm. I think is always going to be a positive for your firm, for your team, even for your mm -hmm. personal life. So, you know, that's really what I mean is, uh, you know, we always try to be sure that we are the very best firm at what we do for our mm -hmm. clients and that mm -hmm. everything we say on that sales call or on the introduction or even on this podcast here, 
that when our clients leave, they say they, they did that and then some, and, and that's a big responsibility. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a big responsibility because you guys essentially have people's lives and their livelihood and their legacies and their families. It's on the line. Exactly. And, and we, <laughs> and we preach that. And, you know, you touched on some of the, you know, I said one of the most important five things we touch on that. We say, you know, there's your family. Uh, there's maybe your wedding day. There's maybe friends, um, mm-hmm. maybe faith for some people. And right mm-hmm. behind that is maybe the sale of your business. It's your baby in a sense. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are emotionally tied to it. And mm-hmm. it's your largest for most people income producing asset. Okay. And yes, you're, you're exactly right. We treat that very, very seriously because we're giving advice on what to do in the future. We're, we're telling our clients, you drive the car, we're going to let you know where the next corner is and mm-hmm. to slow down to 30 miles an hour before you speed back up to 70. Like that should be our job is to make sure that we're looking ahead to allow mm-hmm. our clients to comfortably make decisions mm-hmm. and to let them know if you make this decision, if you make this hire, this acquisition, if you de novo a new location, whatever it may be, this is the effect of it over the next six, 12, 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to be very, very accurate when we do that, or we affect mm-hmm. people's livelihoods not just yeah. the owners, but potentially their team members. So yeah, you're oh, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, 100%. And, and you know, something that I, I talk about, because, you know, I'm not, um, <laughs> I don't do what you guys do. You know what I do, it's different. But we, we do touch upon these things because I'm big on connecting my people with professionals who are actually going to see it from beginning to end. I can talk about it and they could be like, oh, a light bulb just went off in my head. <laughs> You know, but I'm like, but baby, I'm not going to be here till the end. So here, talk to this person. So, so the thing is, it's like, I know, so we can talk about some differentiation here. I know that there's um, different type of, of structures and interests for, you know, let's, let's call it, you know, aesthetic practitioners that are in their business and they want to get out. You know, you have your single shingle, you know, you and I talked about that a little bit. We have our single shingle and their best bet is, um, you know, getting someone who's going to be a, a, a junior and train them up and maybe they're going to take you know, leadership over time and then buy it. Then you have like, you know, the other part you specialize in is like the mergers and acquisitions. So, okay, we're going to kind of connect with all these other entities. So we, so we get like bigger in mass and then someone can buy us or, you know, there's a, that other route where you can say, we're going to become kind of like a, I forget what the word for it's called, but we're going to become, we're going to be more in the real estate kind of thing. We're going to buy a big building and we're going to have all these med spa owners in here renting from us. So you could be more of like a real estate agent, you know, an investor. So when you're with a, a newer business owner, whether it's a plastic surgeon or it's a med spa owner, how do you determine or how do you get someone to see and crystallize kind of which one of those three areas they want to plan for to get to for the future? Yeah, that, that's one of the first questions we ask because our firm specifically is really built for the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, we are built for if somebody calls us and they say, I have one, two, three, four locations, doesn't really matter what, where they are today. Mm-hmm. However, I, where we really specialize is 
I have X locations and I want to continue to grow and I want to continue to scale and mm -hmm. I want to have a really nice exit. You know, for those people, we serve them very well. If it's someone that wants to do a single shingle location, um, it, we very much ask that right up front is like, what mm -hmm. is your end? And, and we start off by asking on the call, you know, paint that painting for us. If somebody says, I have a single location and that's mm -hmm. all I'll ever want, we're happy to have the conversation and happy mm -hmm. to guide them on, you know, some of the steps to take. You touched on a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, make sure that you're, if it's your single location forever, make sure that you continuously measure the health of your business, make sure that you are, you know, promoting some sort of leadership within it. It's going mm -hmm. to be your largest income producing asset. And most likely you'll treat it somewhat like your piggy bank, which is okay. You're not going to have partners day one, so on and so forth. So there's mm -hmm. a, in that one, you know, a, a lot of tax strategies involved, things of mm -hmm. that nature for tax mm -hmm. protection. Um, if it's the multi-location, same concept, we just have them close their eyes and tell us, and if they envision themselves, uh, if they say we have something here and we want to continue to scale it and grow it and how do we do it, then we go mm -hmm. through the process of if, if what you're saying, if we're understanding correctly, then over time, what you're talking about is replicating yourself. Over mm -hmm. time, if you're a, the producer, for example, maybe over time you're transitioning into the C-suite. What does that look mm -hmm. like? Mm -hmm. uh, over time, you're going to allow the beautiful thing, the, the thing I love about scaling is you'll allow for your team members to grow as well instead mm -hmm. of the singles mm -hmm. where your team members are, are pretty much going to stay within that. You know, mm -hmm. when you grow to a multi-location and you put up an MSO management company, and you build out mm -hmm. the C-suite team, there are going to be people that are going to thrive and maybe go from the location to the management company. So, mm -hmm. and it just allows, if you do have something special, it'll, it allows you to scale that exponentially to mm -hmm. 100, 200, 300 team members, which mm -hmm. I think is really appealing for a lot of people as they do have a good culture and a good firm and a good product. Mm -hmm. um, so there, you know, so we talked through all of that just to make sure, is that really what you want? Because this is, this is what it looks like over time. And there are pain points. And, uh, you know, like, for example, we call it the dark tunnel. If you are the producer and over time you want to be the CEO, there might be a time where you actually make less money as you're scaling, mm -hmm. which is very mm -hmm. antithetical to what a lot of people think. But it makes complete sense because mm -hmm. you're now a, a burden from an administrative perspective on the firm. So there are a lot of things to talk to you think through. If you're going to buy the land, um, a lot of times uh, the people that we just talked about, they do like the concept of buying real estate for mailbox money. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can lease it to other owners if you continue to scale, as you said, kind of that McDonald's model almost. Yes. Um, and, and some of our owners do do that. And I think the conversation we have there, that's an interesting one. I'm glad you brought it up. The conversation we have there is if you go to a bank, and usually that's the way that we grow until you're ready to sell to private equity or someone like it. But if you're going to a bank, then they like if you're acquiring another med spa as an example, you're cash flowing day one. Um, mm -hmm. So you can grow relatively quickly. If you're taking down the real estate, you start getting into debt, heavy debt, pretty heavily. So as long as you're okay growing a little bit slower, then mm -hmm. it's okay. Do the mailbox money, buy the real estate, know that when the buyer buys you, they're probably not buying the real estate. So, you know, mm -hmm. you'll be their tenant, et cetera. Um, 
So, so those are just some of the conversations to kind of bring to light. You know, we talked about this is what's around the corner and that's our job. Mm-hmm. That's part of our job is if you decide to do that, are you okay growing maybe one, two locations a year versus three or four? Mm-hmm. And depending on their answer, that gives us the ability to guide them as to, I think what you're telling us is you want to do X. Ultimately, we try to make it their decision because we can't build a company on our passion. It has to be based around your passion. So we just try to bring out the answer by way of a lot of questions uh, and then execute on whatever it is that they want done. Yeah, definitely. And, it, you know, I find it really interesting. So as, as you know, my area is like risk management or have you. That's that's my thing. I'm like, ah. I'm like, when you're on the way there, I'm like, you got to make sure you have your buy-sell agreement in place and like all this type of stuff. So that's my area. Um, you know, so I want to ask you, so with uh, a business owner that is in, say, I've met some of them and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so say they're in like their 50s you know, late fifties, they're getting closer to that time where they're like, my goodness, I am still the surgeon. I am still the med spa. I'm, I'm, I'm still the primary injector or whatever. And they really haven't thought it through up until that point. And they're doing good business. What do you like? I know it's a blanket. It's a blanket advice you're giving guys do not do anything unless you talk to an advisor, but what would you say to someone like that who's like in their late 50s they really didn't plan anything and they've been just a lifestyle business owner and they're just like crap yeah you know if you have a successful business but you're still the main producer and you're in your late 50s or you know regardless of age if you're nearing that point of retirement um this is where i'll start if, if you're ever interested in selling to an investor, let's say that I go in, for example, and buy something, I'm typically going to want you to do tomorrow what you're doing today. I think that's very important to keep in mind and a really good way to simplify it. What, I, what I'm really saying is if I buy this asset, this valuable asset, and I'm paying very good money for it, I don't want it to nosedive tomorrow. So if you're the main producer today, I want you to keep producing tomorrow for a certain number of years. Usually it's three to four years. And that gives me, the investor, enough time to start either grooming someone or start planning to bring someone in to replace you over time. But it gives me three or four four years of tightening up the administrative side and and helping support you on the production side. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't allow me to nosedive the business. So if Mm -hmm. you're not ready to commit another three, four years, then I think some of the things that you can start doing is start grooming somebody to take over that, start pulling out of being the main producer if that's of Mm -hmm. interest. I think if you have other people within your organization that may be interested in purchasing the asset, Mm -hmm. start having those partnership conversations early Mm -hmm. and start planning toward that. How do you do that? You know, the other option would be to list it on the market more from a doctor to doctor sale, producer to producer sale. That's Mm -hmm. always an option. There are always buyers that are going to say, hi, Leslie, sure, I'll take it over. And I do. I am interested in your leaving tomorrow and I'll step right in. There's Mm -hmm. a market for that. I will say, usually the valuations are lower for that. Then if you plan to, you know, support for three, four years or do whatever you're doing tomorrow. So those are things you're going to have to weigh yourself is 
if you do want to exit immediately tomorrow and go have that pina colada on the beach, then just know there's, there's a price to pay for that. And usually you'll get knocked on the value versus if you mm-hmm. planned ahead and you set yourself up as, you know, we always say building a beautiful business, that's part of our job, which relates exactly to your question, is mm-hmm. can you build a business that can run without you? If you didn't show up anymore, can it still function without you? Because then you've got something, you have that secret sauce, you've built something that out survives you really is what yeah. we're talking about. So our clients that are able to do that, to pull themselves out of the business and maybe be an executive, but not truly 100% needed post-close or maybe a few years post-close, those are the really worthy businesses from an investor mm-hmm. mindset oh, of yeah. you have a secret sauce you have, and you wrote down the recipe and I just mm. simply have to follow it. Yeah, and I think what you said there, that last piece, writing down the recipe and i see on your website you know you have your standard operating procedures your sops (laughs) and you know that is a big issue even when it comes you know business succession planning estate planning um if you don't write it down and have it down legally like what are you doing there are so many business owners that you know you guys you have you have your plan in your head, but you haven't done anything to tell your family about it, your stakeholders about it, and it's just in your head. And that's, 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 that's freaking useless. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If it's in your head, you haven't built that beautiful business that can out survive you. Right. And actually mm-hmm. it's funny you mentioned that beyond SOPs, we talk about that a lot. Whenever certain clients of ours are talking about, you know, XYZ isn't doing this. Our very first question is actually, does XYZ know what in your mind defines success in their role? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Okay. How, how do they know? So to us, that's like question one is in order for your business and business is ultimately made up of a bunch of people in our subsector. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want a successful business, everyone has to know this is how Leslie values me as a team member of the organization. So are you the one blocking and tackling? If so, somebody has to tell you this is how I define success for your role. And mm-hmm. if we all know that, then we're all very, very clear on what ultimately success is and is, and is not in my mm-hmm. specific role. And if mm-hmm. everybody knows that, then everyone can row in unison. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It does no good if in your head a certain person is succeeding or failing. If they don't know, then there's mm-hmm. nothing really that you've done to cause that success or failure. Mm-hmm. So really, we like to make sure you get what you measure, right, is really oh, what yeah. we like to say. And I think everybody has to know exactly what their role within the team is. And in order to do that, to your point, you have to get it out of your head and you mm-hmm. have to get it out on paper and you have to over communicate with the team. Yeah, over communicating. And I, I have to say, I've been guilty sometimes of even in my own business of not communicating enough. And then I get a little touchy, like, oh my God. Like, but then I'm like, oh, but then I'm, I'm going to take responsibility. But I'm like, oh, I didn't tell you exactly how to do it. My bad. And, and so I always say, any problem that you have in your business, it can turn into a standard operating procedure. Any problem you have in your business. Because then it's like, okay, let's do something so when this comes up again, we know exactly how to handle it. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, we like to say if, if if we ever get the same question twice, 
you know, we, we write it down somewhere in our little internal wiki page, if you want to mm -hmm. call it that. Yeah. And I think, you know, and then sometimes some of those things turn into bigger things. But yeah, if you get something asked twice or three times, especially, it's mm -hmm. probably time to jot it down because it's something that's going to continually be asked. And people need to be able to know without asking you specifically. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and that's, you know, why it's so important to, you know, and I know you talked about it before, um, like, you know, you, you can't be married to your business and you also sometimes can't be married to the people because you just have to create roles and what is this role producing? Yeah, you, you like the person and everything like that, but people come and they go, you know, and okay. so it's like, what is success for this role so then if someone else comes behind it they could do the exact same thing exactly exactly well, you know we like to say that uh, you're right you can't be married and and you know the word marriage insinuates family which it's funny because in our firm we like to say we're not a family we're a professional sports team that's how we like mm, to think of ourselves and nice. what that really means because family is unconditional love so it would be it would be uh, ingenuine for us to say that because we're trying to build a firm that's built with highly motivated people that follow mm -hmm. our core values etc with our mm -hmm. clients in mind mm -hmm. um, and in order to do that it has to be closer to a professional sports team which leads exactly into what you said which is here are the roles of that team and yes mm -hmm. we absolutely hope that when we bring someone in that they'll stay with us forever that's our hope um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if they can achieve everything that we all want achieved for the benefit mm -hmm. of our clients, then, mm -hmm. you know, we continue forward as a team. But yeah, I think you're so right. It's all about, you know, here are the roles in order to make Skytail successful for our clients, uh, mm -hmm. and then filling in, you know, those, those roles as best we can. And it's the same with all of our clients' businesses mm -hmm. as well, yeah. is making sure that you know the roles, regardless of whose name is on it. And hopefully the people that you do bring in, because there's a lot of value in that turnover is very, very expensive and it hurts it culture and, and, and a bunch of other things. But I think if you have those roles, it also allows you to further define what the right team member is for those roles that you bring in. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I get so excited about that. <laughs> Because I'm obsessed with personality tests and like, you know, my favorite one, I have two. I love the disc, obviously, I love the disc. Um, and I also love the um, modus operandi. And, you know, that one's really cool. It gives you like four numbers. And so, you know, but it's like the same thing. They're all the same. But mm -hmm. it's just like, um, yeah. And it's like, and so if you know what personality type is going to fit that role. So, for example, um, you know. I can't remember right now, so I'm not going to talk about it. But like if you have a person who's more analytical and they're probably going to fit a more like numbers oriented role where they have to be very careful and stuff like that. And if you have a person who's more like, you know, boombastic and out there, they might be better front desk, you know, client interaction and things like that. So you have to also know the roles and you have to also know the personality type that fits that role. 100%. You actually read my mind. I, I was worried that I was talking too long. The next no. thing I was going to say is you can even put a personality on each of those roles. We yeah. like culture index. And you're so absolutely right. For us, for example, the person that we need for an analyst is very, very different for someone that we would need for business development. Yes. Very different personalities. 
And I think allowing you to place, this is who the ideal person is for that. And, you know, again, we use culture index, but whatever, mm -hmm. whichever one you use, it achieves the same end. And it, yeah. it allows you a lot of other things too, right? Is like to take away any personal biases, et cetera, that you may have, and you simply hire the best possible people out there. Yeah, exactly. The best person for the role. And I think sometimes um, um, practitioners get messed up with that. They start hiring everybody that's like themselves. And it's like, oh, that's not going to work for a well-fueled business. Like, everyone can't be like you. <laughs> exactly. And I think even if you try to not hire people like yourself, that's your natural inertia. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I know that was one of our fears is that we would hire people that, you know, we're just like us. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe someone just like me is good at a certain role, but I'm very, very bad at other roles. Uh, and, and, and hopefully I wouldn't be hiring myself for other roles. And, mm -hmm. and that's exactly, I think, what that helps protect against. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, people that I know, like in a big thing, you know, people talk about diversity, but I think even more important having just different colors or genders on your team is like have diversity of thought. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. So I know we're wrapping down here. This is like so juicy. I like to love this conversation because this is like up my alley, but <laughs> something. Um, so I know when you're valuing a business. So valuing a business is really important. And, you know, something I want to ask you about is a term that's thrown around with like business valuation. It's one of the ways it's, it, it's done to like kind of. Um, so tell us more about um, it's called a bit duh. E-B-I-D-T-A, guys, and this is something that you can do. Um, so tell us more about how you calculate that number. What does it mean in simple terms for um, an aesthetic practice? Certainly. So EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Uh, if you want to roughly calculate yours, um, and this would be unadjusted EBITDA, we can get into that later. But if you want to roughly calculate yours, you can start with the very bottom line on your P&L, which is net income, and then simply add back those other pieces, interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That will be your EBITDA. But then the next question is, okay, great. What is that? Or why am I doing that exercise? EBITDA is a very rough way to measure free cash flow. So if you think about the things that you're adding back, you're adding back things like accounting decisions, right? Like when you're talking about depreciation and amortization, mm -hmm. you can do five years, you can depreciate it all today. Yeah. That's simply an accounting decision that's not mm -hmm. really truly operating activity or free cash flow. So once you have your free cash flow, essentially what they're trying to do, the buyers, is they're trying to one, figure out your free cash flow. And then you mm -hmm. put a multiple on it, is what it's called. So let's say mm -hmm. your EBITDA were, let's just pretend that you're a med spa doing 1.5 million in revenues. And you know your EBITDA, let's say, is 500,000. So you're doing 33% mm -hmm. you know, profitability there. Uh, mm -hmm. When they get to that $500,000 number, then you get to the multiple. And what the multiple really is supposed to stand for is the riskiness of cash flows and future cash flows. Mm -hmm. And maybe for 500,000, maybe it's a five times multiple. So they're going to say your business is valued at 2.5 million. That's really why EBITDA is so important. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you can then get into unadjusted EBITDA and things of that nature. And really what that is, is if you're running a lot of personal expenses in your business, then those would be things that you add back as well. Like if you're running your car through your business, that's not true operating performance. If I bought your business, that wouldn't be part of that. So Mm -hmm. I would simply add that back, meaning you'd get credit for that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's really, you know, what we talk about and mean and why we give EBITDA such an importance is it's it's pretty much one of the primary ways. There are a lot of other ways, but it's one of the primary ways uh, Mm -hmm. of how a business is valued. And, you know, the other side being the multiple that we mentioned, it goes up as you reduce risk or as you improve the potential for future cash flows. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, we talked about a lot of our clients wanting to do multi-location. If you have 4 million EBITDA, you might be looking at a 10 times multiple as Mm -hmm. compared to the 500,000 we talked about that five times multiple. So you can Mm -hmm. see that as you start growing in EBITDA, the multiple typically starts growing, not simply because it's more EBITDA, but really what should stand behind that number is probably a more sophisticated business with leadership, with a proven model and concept. And, you know, that secret sauce we talked about. So the theory mm-hmm. is I, as an investor, have now reduced my risk as compared yeah. to the $500,000 one. And I can read your recipe card and continue to rinse and repeat because you've already been doing that. Um, okay. But, you know, that's, that's roughly why we place such an importance on EBITDA. Uh, it's so cool. But listen, um, so if someone's, going to, if someone's going to work with your firm, Tell us about the steps of how they contact you, what the steps are, who, like, you know, who's your ideal, kind of walk us through that process. So, you know, our listeners know, like, when should I get in touch with the SkyTail group? Sure, certainly. Thanks. So um, our typical client avatar is going to be, you know, a, a med spa that is wanting to grow and scale. So typically mm-hmm. we do best with those that, either have an MSO, want to put together an MSO for purposes of actually scaling and growing, that really takes advantage of everything that we do. One, from the outsource CFO perspective, but then we run into a lot of discussions around legal structure, around partnerships, around mm-hmm. you know bonusing team members, centralization, which we've talked about, building yeah. out the C-suite. You know, building out the SOPs, making sure everyone knows what they're responsible for. So our model is really built for that type of organization that's wanting mm-hmm. to grow scale. And then this part's not necessary whatsoever, but typically people are doing that to have an exit. So, you know, the other part of our business is, of course, M&A. And for that, it's anyone who's interested in exiting uh, mm-hmm. that's interested in exiting to a private equity group. So we probably wouldn't excel in a, for example, physician to physician sale, that's not, you know, our strong suit. We focus specifically on, you know, uh, provider owned groups typically that are wanting to sell to private equity or family offices. So, you know, the big investors uh, that are wanting to grow and scale, uh, we're always in contact with them and we know that they're very, very interested in the space. So that's, that's typically what our client avatar is where we excel. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way to get in touch with us, my number is 214-796-8190. Uh, and another way would be a good email is info at skytailgroup.com, S-K-Y-T-A-L-E group.com. Uh, but either of those ways, we're always happy to have a chat and, you know, help out however we can. 
That's so awesome. And guys, um, as you know, what I always do, I'm actually going to link on their website and all of those things inside the show notes so you can, you know, you could look into them. But Ben, oh my God, this has been a nice little geeked out finance conversation for me and I appreciate it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. You did a great job taking us all down all sorts of avenues. Uh, thank you so much, Leslie. Really enjoyed the time. You're welcome. We'll talk soon, okay? Alrighty, looking forward to it. Take care. You too.